Ladies and gentlemen, I'm open Mike Eagle. This is a podcast. I don't even know why people do these. Like, who am I even talking to? There should be another person here having a conversation with me. This is this isn't okay. Thank you for choosing to listen to it. I appreciate you. Uh, Central Skin Intelligence Agency members. Scanstagrammers? I've used that one before. Still sucks. Shoot. Check this out, though. I've decided that I'm going to make a secret handshake for podcast listeners. Uh, I've decided what the handshake is. And I've decided that for you to learn what the handshake is, you have to come to one of my rap shows and say, and come to the merch table when I'm standing there and say the secret word to me. And, um... The secret word is scuttlebutt. So come to the merch table. uh, Whisper in my ear, scuttlebutt. Then I'm going to show you the handshake. Because at that point, you will have let me know that you heard this instruction and it was important enough to you to learn the secret handshake for the uh, brother and sisterhood of which you are a proud member I am too I'm not only the president I'm also a dues payer I pay dues to myself uh, I garnish my own wages my bank hates me oh man on this episode of the podcast we have B. Dolan a very uh an interview i was looking forward to doing i met up with him in south by southwest more on him in a moment uh in the meantime like i don't know this is like honestly i'm gonna tell you guys my friends i'm in no mood to be doing this it's been a rough week actually it's been a cool week i released my album hella personal film festival on friday on Friday a hey, music industry releasing music on Friday sucks don't don't trick yourself otherwise it stinks um, but that's going well you can pick that up in Bandcamp and iTunes and uh, vinyl is selling out all over the internet and CDs are for sale um, but yeah man we lost five dogs this week man jeez and then after that, Gary Shandling passed away as well. This has been like a really rough week for me and probably people in a particular age group, you know. The tribe Called Quest music was very, very important in my life, informative. And, you know, it meant a lot to me. And I'm happy that I, I probably saw them in concert like three times. And I'm really thankful for that. But it's like, man, um... That's my favorite rap group ever. And um, 
one of them is no longer like with us. It's crazy. And I don't know, the way rapper deaths go, like his importance to me will be his importance to me. You won't get like a societal outcry because of, you know, economic impacts made or not made or whatever. And I, you know, I hate all that. And I just, uh, I need all of the moments of silence. But you know, and Gary Shandling as well. A lot of his work was important to me. The It's Gary Shandling show was important to my young uh, aesthetic somehow. And he was a great comic. The Larry Sanders show was amazing. So those are my two little bad obituaries, or one and a half. Jeez, uh, go buy my album though. That's right. It's all about salesmanship. Oh man, we're gonna talk to B. Dolano. Um, I ran into him at South by Southwest. He's a rapper based out of Providence, Rhode Island, uh, with a very interesting story. He's um, he's got different personas he raps under on stage, which is cool. And he talks about uh, having developed a stage show and all of that. Uh, I really was happy to get a chance to dig in with him because uh, last year on Pitchfork. He wrote an editorial about what the white rapper owes the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, it was, I've had in my life, um, a lot of my white rapper friends actually confess to me personally that they felt funny rapping given some of the the uh, circumstances of today. Uh, so it was interesting to be able to engage him about that and I appreciated how open he was. And dealing with that subject. Oh boy. Uh, remember, if you want to learn the handshake, come meet me at a rap show. Come to the merch booth and whisper, Scuttlebutt. Um, I'm going to be in LA this Wednesday at Lowen Theory. I have also a, uh, a live in store performance at Amoeba Music in Hollywood. That's the 5th of April. On the 7th of April, I'm in San Francisco well, with Count Base D and DiBiase. Um, the 11th, I'm in New York City with Lush Life and Uncommon NASA. Um, the 12th, in Philadelphia with Hoslow. Um, the 23rd, in Norman, Oklahoma at the Norman Music Festival. Love you guys. Send questions and stuff. Send all your comments and everything to omebooking at gmail.com. I appreciate that stuff a ton. Appreciate your listenership. Support our sponsors. And let's get into my interview with the one and only B. Dolan. Recorded live in a hallway in the convention center of South by Southwest. I was huddled next to an outlet. I held on for dear life. There's a secret radio hour. There's a secret radio hour. There's a secret radio hour. You're on tour right now, right? Yeah. What's the tour called? The Kill the Wolf tour. It's the the album tour. All right. This is the North American leg now. Do you enjoy being on the road? Yeah, I uh, 
it's funny, man. Like I, in in between time, I get, I enjoy being at home too. Right. Like I enjoy being in the studio, especially as the studio has gotten more like I want it over right, the years. Right, like right. I'm starting to really, really have fun in there, and like I feel myself having to tear tear away from it when it's time to go on the road. And then there's like two weeks where my body is just like, "What are you doing? Why?" Right. <laughs> you know, right. like there's like, I think there's like a fear too, like that week before where it's like can I do this right. anymore? Yeah. Like what? Like I forget. But then my body like remembers like after about a week, my body like switches into that other that mode yeah. where it's like six hours of sleep is like a lot of sleep. And you know, the you thing know? That's, that's always the marker for me is that like, I can just like eat once a day yeah, yeah. and not even think about yeah, it. Like yeah, people yeah. have to remind me that we haven't eaten. Yep. Like yep. that's how I know I've been yeah, on you're in the, a while. You're in there. But, but once I'm in there and I'm not like feeling sore or feeling tired or once I'm in there, I'm like, oh, yeah, St. Louis. I love this city. Oh, Chicago. Like, right. you know, like right, 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 I remember the things I like. And then, you know, and then it becomes too long. and I'm like, I got to go home. And then I'm at home too long. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have yeah. a family and stuff at all? I have a wife. OK. Yeah. We've been together since 2002. OK. We got married in 2012. Nice. Uh, yeah. We, you know, we just make it work. I never had kids because I don't. I feel bad leaving my dog. <laughs> I hate you, man. You know? But yeah, uh, mine, mine is old enough now to say very specific things that make me feel bad. Y- yeah, if he yeah. gets on the phone. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? <laughs> yeah. Very specific. Yeah, know? yeah. He's seven, so. I mean, I see people that do it mm-hmm. and do it well. Slug does it really well. Right. Facetimes every night backstage. Like he's part of family dinner. You right. know, he's talking about like, what'd you learn today? What'd you do today? Like, I I see friends doing it, um, but it's that same thing of like. The time, be- I, the time before, it's probably more apprehension than anything. Mm-hmm. It's like I can't do that, I can't do that, and then you just are doing it, right? And, then it, you, and then, yeah, yeah, right. It yeah. just becomes part of the yeah. part of what you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of what you do, you you speak, you tend to speak to a lot of issues in your work, um, political, social, and otherwise. I noticed on um, on Lazarus on Kill the Wolf. Yeah. You said something boastful, and you were like. And you say, because I have to boast. And then, what's the line right after that? If you, do you remember it? Yeah, yeah, I do, I do need to boast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then it was something uh, for the people that you hold the most close or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... To me, that kind of spoke to a, maybe an inclination that you have to kind of do the more classic MCing yeah, yeah. kind of um, kind of angle in the rap too. Yeah. So do you do you feel like you have to like not do that a lot in order to like speak to what you, you what you typically speak to? Um, I mean, I think it's all. It's just uh, I'm just trying to represent like as many sides of myself uh, as I can okay. get into the music. So. Uh, there's definitely like there's I, I am both people you know right, <laughs> and right, right, right. and I'm entertained by both people and I care you know like when I what I listen to what I like what I think about is all like reflected in the music and a lot of what I like is just emceeing right you know like I'm a I was born in '81 East Coast rap yeah, kid yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so like I want to hear an MC like rip it right and then once I hear you rip it then I can hear you talk about politics or God <laughs> or women but you have to rip it at some point like yeah. Um, I typically ask rappers if there's a difference between like who they are as a person and who they are in terms of not necessarily stage persona, but rap aesthetic. Um, I would imagine with you, I mean, at least 
from my vantage point, it looks like there's probably not much difference between the person and the and the rapper. Not much. I mean, the 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 stage um, presence is just like you know probably my personality on ten. Right. You know, just like, um, and there was, there's probably a good deal of like aggression uh, that I let out through the stage that, that I, stuff that I have learned. Like it helps me to not let it out in my, like I feel it, <laughs> right, but I like that's a, yeah, it's an outlet for me. <laughs> but um, in addition to that, you have a couple more like stage personas. Yeah, true. Like um, <laughs> Bombs Away, yeah. um, Evil Knievel. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell, can you tell me about those? This, so it's a, it's a weird uh, arc uh, where that starts with me like listening to rap writing raps in my bedroom growing up in a community where like there wasn't a lot of hip-hop mm -hmm. the hip-hop you get would be like and this is in providence this is yeah okay. uh, outside providence okay. even like a mill town called smithfield rhode island that was outside of providence and uh and so like the predominant stuff out there as we were growing up was like metal metal mm -hmm. kids and, and all that so like to hear hip-hop you'd have to just like trade tapes with your friends or like there was this uh boston radio station that would come in or later when I went to school, I went to school in Providence and kids started to have like DJ Clue tapes and stuff. Right. Um, but it wasn't, you know, what you had would you just squirrel away. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, and then I got to New York. I, I uh, went to some open mic thing and I just like read, I read some lyrics that I wrote acapella and someone heard it and, and was like oh that sounds like slam poetry you should mm -hmm. go to the new eurekan poets cafe and that's where i went and that's where i got on stage kind of for the first time so you hadn't you hadn't done your work in in that spoken word form at all before getting to new york no no okay, it was wow. a total like <laughs> i just went there saw that and was like oh all right like yeah i could do this and right. then and then did it and and was sort of like immediately successful um to where like the the def jam dudes were taping their pilots for the deaf poetry jam thing uh -huh. and i was like 18 at this time and uh and so they like that was my first taste of like an industry party you know like met russell simmons everyone was like beautiful and styled and mm -hmm. on coke <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i was just totally overwhelmed by that and and at the same time i was in the in the slam world i was just getting into that enough to to hear for the first time like oh there's rules there's like mm -hmm. there's a 3 minute time limit and there's no costumes and there's no like that and it was just uh, i reacted to all that pressure you know the mu the music industry that i encountered that i i had thought was like well you go to new york you rap and then you get discovered or something right, right. um and those dudes saw me and they had a different idea, which was like, this is the next Eminem. Like, now, this is this like, is specifically yeah, like yeah, Def yeah. Jam records. We can make this, yeah, okay. yeah. We can make this dude Eminem. Can, can you be Eminem was right. basically what everybody. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is, I mean, this is how, how far into Eminem's this is, um, arc is this? This is like 2000. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was like just starting to jump off. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I reacted negatively to all of it and was because I was 18 and didn't even know what I sounded like it. Like well, I, well, let me let me uh, pause just because I, I want to see a clear picture of this in my head. Like, are they like bringing you into offices and sitting you down and saying we want you to do X, Y, Z? No, it's a lot of like um, it's a lot, a lot of like just got off stage conversations in the alley or conversations outside the front door with cigarettes or like then the, I got invited to this private taping at the Rush Arts Gallery, and uh, and that was where like. 
they just kind of tape this all performing and then you know I'm trying I'm just trying to get a, like a straight answer and an understanding of what's of what, what like what's happening with this tape now yeah. like what happens now like and you know it was just all this very vague kind of suggestive weird mm -hmm. advice and guidance and people people coming up to me like well, yeah I'm a manager like I don't know what a manager does I'm right. this you know like um, it was just I I got hit with like a lot of the you know the industry stuff before and i i innately knew like i don't i need to like be in in a bedroom some more with i i have to i have to figure out what i want my beats to sound like i have to figure out what my songs sound like i had you know, i had all that work to do and all these people that were like we'd really like it if you could do this mm -hmm. and um so i just kind of bounced out of all of it and so my reaction to a lot of the to the slam stuff was like i'm gonna do something that lasts for six minutes or eight minutes and I'm going to mm -hmm. wear this like crazy ass costume. And like, so the evil Knievel thing was like, I found this record that was like evil Knievel speaks to the kids. Mm -hmm. And it's this press conference he did before, um, the sky cycle jump where he like tried to jump like a rocket vehicle over the, uh, a big Canyon. He okay. wanted to do the grand Canyon. The government wouldn't let him do the grand <laughs> Canyon. And, uh, and he was just an ill character. Like he, he had all this stuff to say about death. Okay, partner. Do I ever get scared of thinking about dying? Well, I do. I get concerned, you might say. I don't get scared. I don't want to die because I have uh, two little boys that remind me of you and a, and a little girl. The smaller than you are. And I don't want to die and leave their mommy and leave them. But I uh, am convicted to do this thing because I want to do it. And when I go out to make the jump, if I am scared, sometimes I say a little prayer and that helps me get unscared. And I'm able to go ahead and do what I want to do. Uh, and it's really like poignant. And it's like, of course he does. Like he, that's what he does. He risks his do life. You remember any of that? What do you no, I don't okay. remember him that much. I remember, I remember seeing his son do the Caesar's Palace jump when it okay. was like a pay-per-view thing. But yeah, Evil Knievel was before my time, and that's why I had never even heard him talk. Okay. And he had this really interesting like cadence of speech. It's like clipped like Montana cowboy thing, and uh, I was just into it. And so like I. At first, I like chopped up the record, so it was like the interviewer asking the questions. Then I would memorize his responses, and I got like this evil Knievel costume that I made, and I would perform the record basically. Wow! Um, and then at the end of that, I would take, I would play like the final countdown by Europe, and I would, <laughs> I would, I would jump a uh, a toy tricycle off a ramp over three toy buses and off the end of whatever stage I was oh. on. Uh, and then I quickly realized after like doing doing like. 10 shows of that that like as soon as people see a ramp and a toy bicycle and three toy buses they're not hanging in for the performance of the record they just want to see you do that <laughs> right. i was also torn in like bars and shit that's when right. i met mr dibs in like a little bar in cincinnati and uh you know so then it evolved into this like weird pep talk like i would do this evil knievel pep talk what with chariots of fire playing behind me and uh and then and then do the jump and then after a year of that I wrote this poem about him. Like mm -hmm. I had this like weird window into his humanity. Right. Yeah. Right. Like you, you, you became close enough to him as a historical figure. Yeah. You got that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And that, so that was a really, I never made anything else like that. Okay. That was just a really weird thing that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but weirdly, like I did that at paid dues. The first time I ever went to paid dues. Wow. Like I, I met LP as I was coming off stage with like blood in my costume and he looked, and he just looked at me and he's like, did you make it? I was like, I don't know. And that was like, and then I walked away like, damn, that was, I just met LP in a 
Like an evil Knievel costume. I don't know if this is how I meant to introduce myself to the game. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a crazy level of risk to yeah, be taking. Yeah. So, and, and so that's the story of Evil Knievel. What's the story of Bombs Away? The Bombs of thing was... Um, bombs, is that how you say it? Bombs Away? Bombs Away. Bombs Away. Bombs yeah, away. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was, I'm trying to remember, that was also like right after I kind of left the slam community. Uh 2001 i guess um the uh the i was watching the iraq war start on tv mm -hmm. and um and i like i was you know i was living in new york on september 11th and so i was very you were, I, you worked close to yeah the yeah towers, about, a, right? about a mile away wow. yeah i'm parking i was a doorman on park now, were you you were at work at that morning i wasn't in work that morning okay. i had the day but i was in work the next day because there was this big like everybody back to work everybody wow. go shopping everybody wow. yeah um it was crazy, man. That was like this really like chemical smell and taste That's what I in the hearing, air. And like yeah, yeah. just whatever those buildings were made out of was just hazardous. Mm -hmm. and, and yeah. And it was, it was ill. It was funny. I, I was uh, a doorman on Park Avenue and like we opened all the windows to let the smell out or something. But it, it came in um, and this dude would walk through, walk through the lobby and was just like... You know, you know, like what? What is the smell? Like, you're just so upset. Like, I remember, like, <laughs> and there, like his maid, like, had had someone that was working in the towers, and he was at because every weekend, like, their bags would get brought down to go to their houses on Long Island. Right. This, this place was like ten million dollars per floor. Everybody wow. had two floors plus seven thousand a month maintenance wow. fees, and it was nobody's only house. So every weekend, their luggage would come down, and they'd go, and like, has Gloria brought the bags down yet? Like, no. And, and this dude just going like, we have to get back to normal wow. <laughs> and just stomping upstairs, you know. But uh, but so anyway, so obviously I was very like deeply uh, impacted by all that, like, you know, everything that happened after. And and I was watching the Iraq war and I had been making political art for a while there. And I remember watching it start and just being like, what is this worth? Like, what, is, what have we been doing? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I should never get on stage unless I'm wearing clown makeup. Wow. And then. Uh, and thinking bombs away. And that was where the origin of that character came from. And that character was just the, this really, really probably the most aggressive thing I've ever done. It was just this uh, right wing viewpoint. I would just get on stage and, and uh, the, yeah, I guess the biggest performances of it were when Francis brought me, Sage Francis brought me on tour and I would interrupt his political song and heckle him. And from the crowd, and he'd be like, who the hell are you? You know, like, all right, man, you want to come on on stage? And I would do it, and it would be just like this four-minute poem of justifying, like, why we have to do what we have to do in the world. And, like, uh, reality is ruthless. And if the other wolves find out that you're toothless, they'll use your bones as a motherfucking toothpick. <laughs> like, it's just, so get used to it. You know, like, it was just a, like, direct challenge to all that stuff and it was what it was the ugliness that i was watching or that i perceived like i was trying to present it hold a mirror up to it and that does sound like at least in, in how your delivery just shifted right there yeah, it yeah. sounds like that might have been another outlet for aggression yeah as yeah, well. yeah oh yeah for sure yeah because it was just such a violently ugly time and uh, like how do you how do you represent that like right. um it didn't seem enough to make you know i've struggled with like the usefulness of political art and, right. and how to make useful political art. And um, that was like a, that was me in crisis <laughs> probably. Where, you know? where did it, how did, how did the crisis resolve itself? Um, I just, I mean, you know, cause there was a time where I was like, if, if Chuck D, you know, like after September 11th is when I, I sort of, 
I didn't put music to the side, but I, I probably did. Like, I, I probably was like, it's not enough anymore. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to, you know, if Chuck D can't write the song, of, you know, John Lennon can't write the song, what are the odds I'm going to write the song, mm. you know? So uh, I need to be involved in social justice work. And so I did. I, I put it to the side and I just kind of like threw myself into activism for the first time, which is its own journey <laughs> you know, like, like in, in providence yeah or? yeah in providence and then like later with uh, no more.org and, and all that stuff it was you know that that's a whole other chapter but um and then but over time you know it was just like thinking about like some of the songs that were used to or resist apartheid in south africa like there were certain songs that like everyone knew and when the police were advancing their lock arms and sing that song and in that moment that song was important that song was a an organizing tool um and and think you know like who the hell knows like i i'm, I'm trying to try to think back to like how i became politically aware and active and it was through music it was through like public enemy and krs1 and even rage against the machine i remember they had like an album where you opened it up and it, it was just a picture of a pile of books mm -hmm. and i went and found those books and read those books and wow. like um and so there there is an impact and also i started to think about really useful uh, political music, like all, not wanting to make like bumper sticker feel good political anthems, right. but make something that was like very pointed and specific. Uh, Papoose had this mixtape called Law Library, okay, and every track was like explained a different aspect of the law. So there was a track about warrants, and it was just like all about you know your rights as they regard to warrants, and like uh, you know like what to do if you have an a warrant and all that sounds stuff. incredible yeah 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 it's pretty awesome. tight yeah i think it was like a multi-volume thing wow. um but it was i heard that and i was like yeah 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 so songs like film the police where it was just like here's one thing you can do mm -hmm. and here's a catchy hooky way to make you remember it and be entertained by it um and that sort of became my and probably still is my philosophy about political art So we, we discussed earlier about you having you striking a balance between um, your value of pure MCing and yeah. then your value of uh, of making like political art yeah. as well. So inside of the art you make, is there also a balance you have to keep in mind in terms of like making something that's functional on that level, but also making stuff that expresses your particular emotions yeah. and journey. Yeah, and that's that's generally, it's so easy to make bad political art. Right. And it's also like, it's why as soon as you make a song like Film the Police, you're immediately like put into one In kind of box, box by people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is what it is. I mean, I've made some very overtly political music. So there it is, you know, like it's, it's not to be undone now. But in general, I, I just think about like what, what is effective to me, what's a good song to me. And I try and always remember like the, that personal is political and political is personal and like locate myself within the song, right. which is 
which is very important, especially like being like a white heterosexual male. Like, how do I, what do I have to say about this? Like if I, you know, like it's not, and I, I see a lot of like young white MCs trying to make their black lives matter anthem. And I'm like, yeah, but where are you? And like, you, you have a, you're not just right you're on not, the team you think you're on right exactly you're <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. right you don't you're not absent of the of the picture too. Right. you're an agent in it somehow yeah. and and, yes. and and you have a perspective that is 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 important for sure but like you need to write from that place and i try and do that i mean that that brings me to definitely something i want to touch on um you wrote the privilege piece for pitchfork yeah yeah last year um for people who hadn't got a chance to read it, and I want to point everybody back to it, but I'd love if you would sum it up a little bit, what you were talking about in that piece, in that piece for Pitchfork. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, the, I mean, the piece was titled, um, What Does the White Rapper Owe to Black Lives Matter? Right. Um, and I recently, I don't know if you saw the Charlemagne interview with Post Malone? I did. Where he asked him that. He was like, what are you doing for Black Lives Matter? And Post Malone kind of gives this odd rambling answer. And Charlemagne just goes like, you could have just said nothing, man. (laughs) (laughs) I got to watch that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, you know, I mean, it's something I've been, I have been conscious of a sort of unique position from the jump. Because, like coming into independent rap i would be in these from the moment i i saw the scene which was when like uh sage you know i like i said i was more focused on the activism i was putting the art to the side i didn't think i could make the kind of stuff i wanted to make and and live off it until francis took me on a tour my first tour i just worked merch for him yeah yeah and just went city to city and saw like oh wow i try to tell people how valuable of a thing that is yeah 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 i mean just to see yeah. economy happening in front yeah of man i would love to do that for every like talented you know I mean? mc like come look at this man it's like, not a mystery you yeah know yeah I mean? yeah and and so from the time i saw that and thought about performing for that circuit and that scene and that uh whatever like i realized like these are mostly rooms full of white kids right and i'm a white kid and i'm on stage rapping um and what does that mean mm-hmm. and so and and in a, a topic that i never saw being addressed at the time was whiteness itself and and it was almost it was almost like a taboo like um white mcs were either like on some blackface shit or just totally ignoring it right and uh and so i saw that like as an opportunity to address it and have some songs about it like earth movers and other stuff like even the bombzo thing i (laughs) i was attaching it in my mind to like the possibility of like a white face minstrel show and and And, like and 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 just not to skip over, because yeah, I, yeah. I didn't necessarily express this earlier, but the Bombzo character isn't a white oh, yeah, yeah. clown makeup. Right, right, white right. face paint with okay. a bullseye uh, tar- uh, target on the forehead. Okay. But yeah, so I had always been thinking about that and, and about the fact that like if we are going to be a white artist making what I believe is black music in the tradition of black music um, for a white audience, then we, we, we should address that. Right. Um, and it's an, and especially because hip hop is specifically suited to really communicate like complex ideas between the artist and the listener. Like, what a great opportunity to talk, you know, about that issue. Yeah, um, and so, you know, so I try and do that. And then sometimes I don't, I don't expect everybody to try and do that. But when I see the opposite of that, I feel a responsibility. What's to the that. opposite? The opposite of that is dudes walking around in a confederate flag right. t-shirt at soundset thinking right. it's all good like 
<laughs> you know, like you're you're out of bounds. And as a white dude to another white dude, I feel like you're my responsibility. I have to I have to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you talk to that person? About I did that? not talk to that person. I regret not talking to the person. And I, you know, like I I wrote that pitchfork piece right. kind of out of that. And you know, uh, and shortly thereafter, it was it was about Yellow Wolf, Yellow right. Wolf and his DJ. And shortly thereafter, I saw Yellow Wolf. He like doubled down on the Confederate flag thing on Instagram. Like he posted this, you know, like <laughs> why it's Southern culture and wow. and all that. Uh, but in general, man, I you know I try to address that. You mentioned a couple other uh, white rappers in it, and was there ever any like negative feedback from anybody you mentioned in the article? I'm trying to think of who I mentioned. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think Mac I Lethal. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Watsky. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, no, never heard back from and, them. And it was an interesting thing that you pointed out is that um, they had done those videos mm-hmm. um, where they were rapping fast. And, yeah. You know, like, it's just a thing you do to get attention on YouTube. Right. If you have that kind of technical skills, you put mm-hmm. it on display. But it's, it was interesting that you noted that they had labeled them, okay, white kid raps fast. Pale kid, Pale yeah, kid yeah. Raps fast. Yeah, in comparison to Vanilla Ice, who, right. who, like, back in the day was, you know, on the Arsenio Hall show, and Arsenio was really trying to come at him about it. And Vanilla Ice was like, hey, man, I, I just make rap music. Like, I just make rap music that I like. And then the industry sells me however they sell me, which is like, uh, you know, arguably problematic as well, because you should be responsible for that. But it was a defense that you can understand. Like, there's a big machine that's doing something with this guy's stuff that he's not necessarily signing off on. Right. But it's a different era now. And when dudes are titling their own thing, Pale Kid raps quickly. Like, you're cashing in now. Like, you're making that decision. And, and you know, this might be a kind of difficult question to answer, but what, what, is, what, are, what are, like, the operational benefits of white privilege in rap? Like, what do you think is the advantage? I think if you're trying to go a certain route, it gives you access to a, a certain money demographic mm. that is in a position to blow you way the hell up still. just disposable income yeah kinda. Okay. yeah the ellen thing you know like you never gonna you never i've never seen tech nine on ellen right but like if if watsky goes on ellen and mac lethal goes on ellen that's boom like that's soccer mom money macklemore right. has got soccer mom you know like that 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 thing is still there that channel is still there and it's still harder to navigate for a black artist i think so it's it's literally down to Having like just just having a white face in that position, yeah. making that more palatable and easier to sell, or more relatable Got to it. white America, and yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I, the the Macklemore thing, you know, with like coming out with the white privilege song, like I'm, I'm I, not, haven't, I haven't heard the song. Yet, I haven't so heard the song either. I'm not, yeah. I'm not a huge fan of dude's music, but at least I can say like, okay, you're trying to be accountable mm-hmm. to that. You're trying to open start a discussion, you know. Um, but yeah, and I, and also I think there's a whole set of uh, obstacles that maybe black artists have to have to deal with, even at the highest level of fame. Like on the car ride over here, we were talking about Kanye, mm-hmm. and I was saying that like a lot of what Kanye does, I see as standing up for black excellence, and in a way that is sort of he's sort of damned if he does or damned if he doesn't. I, obviously, like this is not to defend everything that of Kanye course, does, of but a lot of times I. A lot of times when everyone is going like Kanye's out of his mind, I'm like, no, no, I see. I understand what he's trying to say. He's trying to say that Beyonce album was the most important thing that happened this year. And, in, and, in, and he knows that in three years, some white girl is going to do that same shit 
and be the biggest thing in the universe, you know, like, uh, and, and he, you know, like what is Kanye's cockiness perceived as versus like Gene Simmons cockiness? Like that's the cockiest motherfucker alive, but oh, it's just rock and roll. Like, right. but Kanye, you know, like, so there's different a black yeah, man. Yeah. And yeah. happens to be in the hip hop generation. Yeah. So right. So it's a different perception. Yeah. And so it's things like that where like, are we applying that filter to Macklemore when Macklemore says like, I'm dope, I'm fresh. Like, or do we get as mad at Macklemore when he says the same shit Kanye is saying or, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think it, it, it continues no matter how high you go, <laughs> you know, like, I don't think you're rich enough or famous enough to like avoid white privilege. Right. Also in that article, you talk about, you question yourself in terms of your sensitivity to the racial issues and you pose a question to yourself of whether or not you're possibly clinging to an old ethic. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? Uh, well, I mean, some, sometimes I just see some things where I'm just, I'm just like, am I a dinosaur about right. this? Like, I mean, the Rick Ross is like the first one that jumps to mind is just like, am I, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> am I totally insane? Cause there was a time when like, you couldn't just say that you were a drug king. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and everybody knew you weren't, that would be the end. That would, be, you know, uh, things, so, you know, things like that. Or, yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder about that. And maybe maybe it does mean I'm dated. You know, I'm not sure. I don't, I just pretend that I'm not. <laughs> you, you know, honestly, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm about six months older than you. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I'm pretty sure in terms of how hip-hop and the, the, how hip-hop came into our lives and the time that it did, that it gave us this kind of similar values on, like, yeah. You know what? What we appreciate um, in terms of people's presence, in terms of people's craft and skill, and all of that. And there is a, a constant dialogue in my head. Like I see where things are going, mm-hmm. and I see clearly how I feel about them. Now, and definitely part of that is based on my upbringing. But I mean, it's I, f- I feel I feel empowered to keep my own values. No yeah. matter what, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I almost like, like, so it, and it makes me put my fist up to the sky like the old man sometimes, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel empowered to do that. And it doesn't, I do think there's a danger in, um, trying to expect other people to like make music in a very particular way. Right. I think aesthetic wise, that's like super yeah, sure, dangerous because. You know, I mean, everybody's, I mean, to me, the, the ultimate ideal situation is everybody making exactly what they want to make. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. there being enough room for yep. everything. But, yeah, you know, but I, I, I was caught by that phrase, that old ethic thing. Yeah, yeah. That's just something that well, cause I, I try and police. About. I try and police myself for that, too. Like, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that, I mean, it's, fun, it's funny. Hip-hop is funny in a funny place at this moment because it's like, you know, how old is Kanye? 38, he mm-hmm. says on the new album. So he's like, that's a 38-year-old dude that is still sort of moving the culture forward. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, there's got to be things that Kanye doesn't get right away. Like, mm-hmm. hip-hop is also youth culture. So, right. like, I'm always, like, policing myself. Like, are you just being a grumpy old asshole right now? Right. Like, is this just, like, kids wilding out? Like, out of future, man. When they, I'm not really 
trying to hear that. I'm not right. trying to turn it on and listen to it. It's but tough. I mean, it's tough. I, I think, I, and I say that I'm talking about. I know I'm talking about a huge group of people, and there's right. definitely people down and, down and with them that I really yeah fuck exactly. With. Like there's variables yeah, yeah. inside of the group, but I yeah. know what you mean. But right? when I first experienced Tyler in the live show, right. but at the same time I was like, oh, that's that's some punk rock wild out shit. Like right. I get it. Like, but it's not. I'm just not my shit. Right. Um, and I can. I feel like I can tell the difference between that and just like, nah, this is. The Rick Ross thing, right. where it's just like, nah, I'm really not down with this in a deep way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, the beats are tight. I can, I can even appreciate the craft of it, but like, there's some, there's something here that I like, am deeply, I'm, I'm hanging on to. Right. Yeah. I'm holding on to this. That's real. Like, you can rap over vocals if that's, you know, if if it's not even about, it's not the vocals. It's the, it's about the fact that you're walking on the crowd and you're wilding out and you're hanging off a monitor and you, mm-hmm. you know, like. All right, so I don't like when MCs rap over vocals, but I understand why Odd Future raps over. I understand the appeal, right? Because it's just like we don't care. We don't. We don't know how to work this equipment. We don't want to. <laughs> Fuck it, you know. <laughs> the wild youth energy, <laughs> yeah. for sure. I respect that. Um, speaking of rap groups, you have a spoken word piece um, on Kill the Wolves called uh, "Who Killed Russell Jones." Yes. Yeah. Who killed Russell Jones? Why and was the reason known? Not us, said the members of the Wu-Tang Clan. Dirty was our brother. Dirty was our man. The old dirty bastard is just who he was. Grown man. He never gave a fuck. It may have been us that gave him that name, but the blame ain't ours. He couldn't cope with the fame. We got family of our own. We can't afford to fail. Didn't have time to go and visit in jail. So when he looked us in the eye and said, I'm dying. Man, Old Dirty was a very important figure in my hip-hop upbringing. There was a time when I really wasn't listening to rap at all when I was like 13 or 14 years old. I was just like straight up grunge rock. Yeah. College rock. Whatever. Um, I heard Midnight Marauders, and that really got me open. And then I started messing with the Wu Tang, and then Thirties, that first album, yeah, that Return to the Thirty Six yeah, Chambers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just listened to that constantly, and it really yeah. like pulled me into the entire Wu Tang. Uh, everything was through that record word. first for me. So he was a really important figure in my life, and so mm-hmm. that piece resonates a lot with me. Um, and there's been a lot of tragic deaths in hip hop unfortunately mm-hmm. what what gravitated you towards writing that about him in particular i always yeah i always really i was i was really weirdly kind of cared about him yeah. <laughs> yeah he wasn't he wasn't the first wool member i heard the first wool member i heard was method man on mm-hmm. ready to die and that's how i i found the wu-tang clan and um but it was just the like who he was in relation to the rest of the group was right. so incredible to me. Right. He was like talking about that disruption, like this this expected thing, you know, this hardcore New York thing is happening, mm-hmm. and then this dude just comes in like singing and wilding out, you know, like mm-hmm. he he would just break up everything in like the absolute like way that it needed to be broken up to make it what it was, and uh, and I was just forever just amazed by him like his even his physicality of how he moved when he rapped like yeah. that weird like yeah. head thing he did yeah the, like, the head and the arm yeah, the yeah sliding yeah. to the yeah. left and the right <laughs> yeah. all of that that's real yeah man and uh and it's only deepened over time too my appreciation for all that stuff um and yeah i just i don't know i guess i just find myself thinking about him the 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 like the thing about the pop culture person that i do like the evil knievel thing i have a song about marvin Gaye and the situation with his father mm-hmm. uh and there's a there's a couple others 
it's sort of a device I use sometimes where I feel like that's our that's our common mythology. Like I can talk about somebody that we all know and right. have an understanding of, right? And right. I can talk about other things. So I was thinking about some certain things in my life about uh, addiction and um, f- like friends with addiction and and how to like na- whose responsibility that is and. Um, and so I was sort of wrestling with some of that, and which that's probably what brought me to the old dirty bastard story and topic and idea. Again, because like I try and come from a personal place all the time, like which you might not think if you hear a bunch of political songs, but um, I that, do. I think there's a very personal bent through them, though. Uh, and I thought, man, that's a, that was an excellent choice because through that situation and through all of the forces that you named. Um, you really did start to point at some of these big, huge, you know, forces that led to this man's death and ask some, like, really important questions. Yeah. yeah. And and questions that are really hard to answer. The format of that song is a Bob is taken from a Bob Dylan song okay, called Who Killed Davy Moore. Okay. And it's actually, like, the, the this uh, chorus repeats the same way, and the whole structure of, like, every verse starts with somebody saying like it wasn't me right. and and then explaining their perspective and through their perspective explaining how they how it was sort of them wow. um and it was yeah the bob dylan song was about the death of a, a prize fighter okay and so it's like the referee says no nah, it wasn't me and the fans go no it wasn't me and then you know like uh and so that yeah that format was applied to the dirty story and that's how that song came about that's amazing um you know, it's interesting that you bring up Bob Dylan as, a, as an influence. Um, I would never have known that. And it's interesting that, like, you know, you port that into your craft and it's just, it, it, it fits so well. You know what I mean? Um, I'm going to tie this all up with that conversation about privilege. Because I have a lot of white rapper homies, of course. And we have different, like, private conversations about um, how they feel about their place and everything. And I always get really surprised at um, the fingers that I see a lot of my white rap friends point at themselves as if they're somehow problematic. When in my eyes, what what they're doing is mostly like independent and true to themselves. And really, it's not taking money out of any black rapper's mouths. You know what I mean? It's like, it's their very own thing. Like, you do your very own thing. And those other guys I've talked to, they do their very own thing. So it's always surprising to me. And it makes sense because, of course, my friends typically are more thoughtful and aware and, and, you know, and and thereby more aware of their part in things. But it's so interesting to me that, like, because when I think privilege white privilege and rap like I think like riff raff immediately <laughs> like you know what I mean yeah yeah like because yeah. I, I feel like what he's doing is more like the white face mm-hmm. thing yeah you know yeah. what I mean a little dicky in that yeah but uh, but the thing is that like uh, to if you are white and you are woke for lack of a better term you should then feel a responsibility for the same way, you know, when um, Muslim terrorists blow something up, everyone looks at the moderate Muslims and says, like, go get your people. What are you, right, yeah, what yeah. you guys doing to <laughs> yeah, stop yeah. that element from yeah, happening? Yeah, yeah. Got it, yeah. So, you know, that's on us as white people. I look at those Donald Trump rallies, and I'm like, that's that's on me. 
Like right. I'm responsible for those people and to those people. Not no one else is. You, you know. That's real. If I if I'm not <laughs> if I'm not then who is? And that's real too because you know a, a thing that occurs to me a lot of times in terms of uh, male privilege is that most of that battle has to be fought with men talking to other yeah, men exactly, about yeah. how to like be better and not you know not perpetuate a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. So and it it. Uh, love is a good place to start i like brother ali i i listen to that dude talk and i'm like yeah i'm gonna try and be because that that's the thing that i think we keep coming up against when we talk to other white people is is to admit privilege is to it feels like giving away a part of yourself like no i've worked hard for who i am and what i am and it takes a degree of self-love to to be okay with yourself and your personal narrative right. and not feel under attack by that. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's like tricky work <laughs> that needs to be, and it, very necessary work because the country is on some crisis shit right now. Well, I'm glad you're out there doing it, man. Um, I feel like I covered, you know, at least, at least I touched on at least everything <laughs> I want to touch on. We could <laughs> talk for up, hours. Uh, is there anything you want to let people know? Uh, just I'm on tour at the moment, and, uh, supporting the new album "Kill the Wolf." It's out on Strange Famous Records, strangefamous.com, Twitter, Facebook, B Dolan SFR, all that stuff. Holla! All right, man. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah, appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, peace. peace.